Okay, we are a um, growing congregation. We're a growing congregation. In the last few years, uh, we have seen a number of families uh, come to uh, join London City Presbyterian Church. In addition to that, some of our younger people have gone on to get married and uh, have children of their own. Uh, We are a growing church. And so in light of that, this morning, I want to do something different. What I want to do is to give us, as a congregation, a goal. I want to set an objective for all of us in here as a congregation. So you're ready for the goal. You're ready for the the congregation-wide objective. I hope by the end of this calendar year that all the households who are gathered in this place just now will be conducting sincere daily times of worship in their homes. I'll say it again. This is the hope. By the end of the calendar year, all households, all households, gathering daily basis, sincerely to have times, proper times of worship before God. In short, the hope, the objective, is to see the comprehensive establishment of family worship, household worship, at London City Presbyterian Church. There's the objective. There's the goal. Let me deal with the immediate objection that some of you've got. Uh, some of you look back at me and say, but I'm not uh, married. And, and we don't have kids. And so this uh, is not relevant to us in any way, shape or form. Not relevant to us. I would say back to you, it is relevant. If you do not have kids, is it not the case that you could hold sincere daily times of worship with your spouse? And if you're not married, it's not the case for some of you that you could hold sincere daily times of fellowship with believing flatmates. And even if none of that is the case or true for you, is it not the case that every single one of us in here could pray about this? And could we not pray for the families and the households of London City Presbyterian Church? It is relevant for all of us in here. So... Just now for our time together, I want to look at family worship. And what I want us to do, yes, okay, is to look to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. But before we get to that verse, I've got one or two things to do. So, have you got your Bibles open? Your Bibles ready to go? We're ready? Uh, let's first of all consider the history of household worship. The history of household worship. Okay, I I want to begin this uh, by trying to read your minds. Okay, I want to begin by trying to uh, work out what you're you're thinking uh, just now. Because I I reckon some of you are thinking like this. You're thinking, family worship. I mean, man, that's old school. You know, family worship. I mean, isn't this the kind of vestige of a bygone era? Family, I mean, isn't this like Dickensian? Like, didn't this go out with kind of britches and top hats and family? I mean, is this really a, a thing that we should be worried about, any contemporary Christians? And is this really even a biblical thing? Is it? Well, in a sense, no. You know, like, the, in a sense, I can't go here to a chapter and verse and cite it where God commands that we must, you must have a family worship. It's not like that, but isn't it the case, friends, that there are some elements of the Christian life that are just more subtly threaded through the fabric of all of the Bible? And I believe that that's what 
what we find with family worship. See, you consider, first of all here, the theological framework of Scripture. Like, what is it that God does in the Bible, friends? What does he do? He enters into a covenant with his people, doesn't he? And it's a covenant that threads its way all the way through the Bible from beginning to end. Now, my question to you is, with whom does God enter into that covenant? What would you, what would you say to me? You would say, hopefully you'd say, Abraham. And I would say, yeah, nearly. Because he enters into a covenant with Abraham and his offspring. Now, do you see it? Like from the very beginning, from the very outset of scripture, and then all the way through, there's this expectancy that the people of God will lead their children in covenant worship. Right from the outset, all the way through. Then even do this. Consider the witness of one of the books of the Bible. Like, do you know Deuteronomy at all? If you know Deuteronomy, you know this, that that is a book that is replete with family worship and family religion, isn't it? And then think about some personal uh, examples in the Bible. King David. Do you know what said of King David? He went home and he blessed his family. Or that very famous verse in Joshua. I bet you know the verse. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What about the wisdom literature? Train up your children in the way they should go. Or, and I love this, I love this. This, is put, this puts you to the test. What about the psalm you have just sung? Because what have you just said to God in song? I'll read it to you. Maybe it'll come as a surprise. And their children... In their turn, God's commands and laws would learn. What does that sound like? That sounds to me like family worship, right? And then wait a minute, what if we get into the New Testament? Maybe you say, but we're New Testament Christians, things are different than the New Testament. Are they? What about Cornelius? What does he do? He gathers his children, he gathers his household to hear the things of grace from Peter. What about Aquila and Priscilla? Praised by God. Why? For the church that met in their homes. Friends, do you see the point that I'm making here? Please tell me you see it. Scripture, the Bible, God's word, full of this from start to finish. Family worship, household worship. We've got it, right? The Bible's full of it. But then, should we not even just for a second consider how that has been applied by the church? Have you heard the name Tertullian? Before. It's not a particularly common name. I don't think Henry and Marianne, when they, when they have, when their child enters the world, I don't think it's going to be called Tertullian. It's not a common name. But Tertullian, early church father, he said this. Now think about it. He said, the Christian families of the early church were known by others for what? For beginning and ending the day in prayerful Jerome, early church father, says the same thing. But what about our particular brand of Christianity? You're, maybe some of you are visiting LCPC this morning. Maybe you've wandered in and you're wondering, what sort of church is this? Especially when you see the, the grandeur of it. Well, we are a reformed church, aren't we? So what about the guys that we like? You know, what about Calvin and Luther and so forth? Listen, I read this. The reformers were universally known to have set great value on family devotion. Universally they thought this was important. What about Presbyterians? 
And Presbyterianism is synonymous, isn't it, with family work? If you were a Presbyterian in, in, in years gone by, generations gone by, you did this. I mean, you spent a whole chunk of your day worshipping God with the people you love. Again, I see you. Do you see the point I'm making? Scripture calls for this. And the church has practiced it. Household worship is a key element of the Christian faith. I wonder if you're, you're looking at me and thinking, what is he doing? I mean, is this a church history lecture? Like, why is, why is he trying to cover centuries of Christian practice at a breakneck speed? Why? Can I tell you the answer? He's going to do this well. That's the answer. Because I visit the homes in the congregation and do pastoral work in this church, it seems very clear to me that we, and I absolutely include myself in this, that we do not practice family worship, household worship, in a sincere and proper way. We don't do this well. And so I ask you this question. Do we want to be those people? Like, do we, we as a church, do we want to be the, in a sense, the first generation of Reformed Christians who totally fail in this regard? Like the first generation of Christian, uh, Reformed Christians who let this go, who, who don't practice, who, who fail our children in this respect. Do we want to be those people? I don't think we do. We look at biblical testimony, we look at the history of family worship. What do we see? we see that we should be taking this as a congregation very seriously indeed. So we see the history of family worship. Now, the second thing that I want us to consider, though, is the benefits of family worship, the benefits of uh, family worship. So that was heavy. Uh, thankfully, this is a bit more uh, positive and upbeat. Okay, the benefits of what uh, we are proposing uh, this morning. What I want to do here is I just want to highlight three groups of people who absolutely benefit if we were to embrace this objective and set up household worship. Three groups of people that benefit. Ready? First one is this. It's the children of this church. Maybe that, in a sense, is kind of obvious to you, is it? If we, if we worship God in our homes... Uh, our children are going to spiritually benefit. But consider that for a moment, please. I consider if we did this, and consider from this day forward, going into this week, we as the parents in the church, we were to say, we are every day, we are going to implement worship. We're going to gather, and regardless if we haven't done it for years, or the kids are older, or your grandkids, or whatever, this day forward, we are going to worship God in this home. What do you think? What's the knock-on effect going to be for the kids? The kids are going to see that to us, God is number one. Isn't that right? We worship regardless of how busy we are, you know? Regardless of how pressurized we are for time. Regardless of how tired, exhausted. We, we worship it on a daily basis. We show the kids that Christ is all to us, Right? And then you think of, don't you, the accumulative benefits of what I'm talking about. I read a Scotsman say this, a Scotsman from many, many, many years ago. See if you like this, okay? He said that family worship is like a constant dripping of water. 
that it eventually wears its mark to the rock. Don't you like it? And isn't it true? Like imagine we expose our, our children to the regular reading of God's word day and drip, 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 and the regular prayerfulness of believing parents drip, drip, drip. What happens? That has an effect, doesn't it? That wears its mark, that spiritual mark on the kids, you see. So there's benefit for the children here. Ready for the second group? There's benefits to household worship for the visitors to our homes. We live in London, right? Well, as we look around, there's so many visitors. Some of you maybe don't live in London, but a lot of us uh, live in London, a place where Christian hospitality is key. I can probably safely say that most of us in here, some point or other, are going to have unbelieving friends an unbelieving family come to visit us, maybe even stay at our homes, right? For the majority of us in here at some stage, can you imagine the impact? If those unbelieving people come away from their time in our home and they can say this, if anything, that home is a place of prayer. If anything, that home is a place of worship. Who is to say the impact and the effect that that might have. Now, what I want to do is just to ground that in an illustration. In, in truth. I have spoken to you in the past a little bit about how I came to faith. I've spoken about it a lot, but it mentioned that when I came to faith in my early 20s, it was a time where a number of other young men came to faith, right? I told you that as a congregation. What I haven't before mentioned is the means that the Holy Spirit used to bring these men to faith in Christ. Do you know what the Holy Spirit used? Have a guess. Household worship. What we did, is a group of Christians, Christians who had just come to faith, living together, we started inviting unbelieving friends around our house. We just watch the football, or have some food, just hang out. And then we would say to them, please stay, we're going to have times of worship times of fellowship. We're going to open scripture. We're going to pray together. And I cannot tell you, and I don't even know if I could count how many young men came to faith at that time. It was the most beautiful thing to see. You see what I'm saying to you, though, don't you? Friends, let's not underestimate the benefit of family worship, household worship, to the visitors to our home. So children benefit, and visitors benefit. But the third one, for me... And I think hopefully for you is the most exciting because there is inestimable blessing to the church with household worship. I want to give you a scenario. I want you to, I'm going to make you do the work. I want you to put yourself into this situation. Imagine this Christian friend that you were invited round to a family in your church. You're invited round for a meal. You have the meal, and at the end of the meal, you are asked to pray. Okay? Now, the thing about this is this family has a number of young children. So you are being asked to pray to lead worship in front of a number of young children. How do you do it? How would you do it? Isn't it the case that just by the very nature of that gathering, you pray in a certain way? If you're praying in front of a number of little children, don't you pray? Don't you try to model 
almost a biblical prayer, don't you? Your prayer almost changes in a sense, doesn't it? There's a didactic element. You're praying, you're leading little kids in prayer. You're trying to show them what to pray for, how to pray, and don't you do this? In that setting, don't you pray for others? Don't you pray for the people in the congregation? Don't you pray for your church? And so I'm saying, can you imagine this? Isn't it exciting if all of the households here, all of the households regularly, daily gather to pray and pray with their children and pray for what? Pray for London City Presbyterian Church. Can you imagine it? Every day, all of us praying for the preaching, praying for our witness and our evangelism, praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I ask you, what would happen? Can I tell you what I think would happen? God would hear and would God not answer the prayer. Friends, there is inestimable, there is widespread blessing and benefit to household worship. So we've seen the history, we've seen the benefits for the children, for visitors, for the church. Third thing, a word about the leadership of family worship, the leadership of household worship. Friends, long overdue, can I ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4? Let's read it together, shall we? Take a breath. Fan yourselves in the heat. And let's read Ephesians 6 verse 4. Now, what's, what's the command? Fathers, do not, so it's do not provoke your children to anger. Okay. Next bit. Verse 4. But bring up the children in. What have we got? We've got in the discipline and then the instruction of the Lord. So it's bring up your children in the, um, yeah, in the instruction of, bring up your children in the instruction of the Lord. Bring up your children in the instruction of the Lord. Okay, what's this? We know it's Ephesians. We know it's a letter that Paul's written to first century church in Asia Minor. We know that much. We know at this section of the book, Paul, what he's doing is he's unpacking what is called his household code. Have you heard of that? You know, the Christian instructions for living in the home. And you get, don't you, a, a gist of what he's saying in the verse. You see in that verse that God desires Christian children to be taught about him, about the gospel. What sort of teaching is it though? Isn't it serious teaching? Like you see it, it's, it's teaching with discipline thrown in there. It's kind of teach the kids, do it seriously. There's got to be admonition here. Like you're teaching about God. I mean, there's got to be challenge for the kids here. Bring up the children and instruction. Right? We see it, don't we? Seriously teach the kids spiritual things. This is what we've got linker on. To whom does the Holy Spirit of God give the instruction to? Because... Isn't it the case that even in the 21st century church, we think like this. We think kids, mums work. Don't we think like that? Even in the 21st century, even in a city, like we kids exclusively, that's mum's domain. That's the mother's domain. Dad, I'm out of work. I'm, I'm busy. Mums do the kids stuff. Look at it. Look at the first word here. Who does God speak to here? dads. So I have to do this as the pastor here. I have to speak to the men of this congregation. Young men, old men. Listen. 
This before you in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 is what God has called you to. God has called you to take the lead in the raising and the teaching of your children. This is not women's work, according to God. This is laid out to the men. And yet, dads, men, what are we going to say? What's the excuse that we always roll out? I'm too busy for that. Don't we say it? I hear it all the time and I've thought of myself and like, we live in 21st century London, right? You're, you're a Victorian or like, I don't know, 150 years ago. That's fine. You know, uh, okay, dad's good. But we live in London, 21st century. Like we can't, this is ridiculous. There's no way that we've got time to do this. And we're so tired when we get home from work. There's no way that we could spend some of the weekend doing this. I want to read you two lines. Ready for the two lines, dads? Of all the persons in the world... That father should be the most willing to take time for family devotion, who is, by his employment, shut out from his home most of the day. Goes on, such is the insane preoccupation with which the man of business rushes to his morning task, such is the length of his absence that he gradually loses some of that parental tenderness. That father should be most willing to take time for family devotion, who is, by his employment, shut out from the home. Does that challenge you, men? Do you know what I love about that quote? I did that from a book that was written in 1837. We say, we don't have time. We live in London. It's the 21st century world. We don't have time for this. Times have changed. Men, it was ever thus. It has always, always, always been like that. And God lays out to fathers this instruction, this command to take the lead in the disciplining and the instruction of their kids. And then the last thing, fourth thing, we've seen the history, the benefits. We've seen the leadership. The last thing is the elements of family worship. Because what's the elephant in the room maybe we're scratching our heads and we're thinking, okay, we see the understanding, we see it's biblical and we see the church's practice and we should do this. How do we do this? Like really though, you know, how do we, if we're going to implement this object, how are we going to go, how, how should family worship be done? I am going to be so ambitious this morning. Like we're in the midst of a heat wave. Everyone's hot sway at London City Presbyterian Church, but I'm going to do this. I am going to do it. I am going to give us six, six pointers believe it or not, and everyone's, no, surely not. They are bullet points, believe me, but six guides to help us to conduct family worship well. I will fire through them. Six, get the six. One, let us an allotted time for family worship. Like I just said a moment ago, church history has said morning and evening, the family comes together and they worship God. And and maybe, yes, Maybe that is unrealistic, but we need to set a time for family worship. Maybe after the evening meal, let's say, and imagine what that's like. If we say, right, we're going to grasp this objective and the family is going to come and the family has to be back in the house for this time. Isn't it much more likely we're going to make this a habit and a routine if there is a time set? Second point, 
let's ensure that we get the tone of household worship correct. If you have been around little kids for any length of time, you know this. If you try and do something serious with little children, what happens? It turns into farce. It doesn't it? There's always just descends into laughter and silliness, right? And if you've been around older children, teenagers for any length of time, what happens? Everything descends into a warfare, doesn't it? It descends into a quarrel and a fight. Well, yes, at family worship, household worship, we want warmth, don't we? And we want smiles and we want love but we need to get the tone of this right we need to teach our families our households what that this is worship isn't it that actually when we come round the dining table together as a family that the lord god most high is there that he is with us as we worship in jesus name we've got to get the tone right third third you're going to hate the third one the third one Let's ensure we sing family household worship. And you don't, some of you like that, and you say, well, we can't sing. Uh, We can't sing. We don't want to sing. But I'm, I'm saying to you, consider the benefits of singing. Imagine, imagine if at LCPC we brought up our children to daily sing the Psalms of God. Every day the children sing a psalm. What would be the knock on effect? That would sink into their souls, wouldn't it? They would absorb that. Like, like just by extension, they would memorize God's word. And then I say to you as a congregation, does not your God deserve to be sung to? Isn't it the case for what he has done, the great works of salvation, that we ought, actually, as his covenant people, to raise our voices with our families and sing praise to God? We sing. Fourth, let us ensure we read. I do not mean let's ensure that we read a book. I do not mean let's ensure at family worship we read a story Bible. I mean from this day forth, let's read God's word with our household, with our families. And I don't mean a, a verse or two. Why not a chapter or two? Imagine how that transforms and rejuvenates London City Presbyterian Church of every day with each other we were reading God's loving words fifth we're nearly there people number five let us ensure that we what's left we pray and you, you look at me and say of course we can pray it's obvious man that you would pray but is it Because if you have led household worship at any stage, what is the temptation that you face? The temptation is to pray just a word or two or to get somebody else to pray in your stead. But I'm saying to you, should it not be the case that all who are able that we pray to God, that we lift up our prayers to, can you imagine again the impact for the children if they are brought up hearing their believing parents pleading with God, crying with God in prayer in front of their offspring? What an impact. And we made it. Because the sixth one is this. I think it is perhaps the most important, friends. Let's ensure at household worship, we don't just teach each other rules and commands that we teach our households the gospel of Almighty God. If you are a parent in here, 
I think you know the temptation. The temptation is to use the Bible as a weapon. A weapon, a moralistic weapon. Don't do that. God doesn't like that. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't see that stuff about judgment. That's what you're going to get. And maybe there's a place for that. I don't know. Should it not be the case that as we gather together in our homes, that we talk and we minister about the good news of the gospel? Isn't that right? Should we not actually model the gospel to our children? I mean, should we not talk about our own iniquity and our own sin with our kids? Should we not talk about the separation that exists between fallen man and a holy God? And should we not teach the kids of the wonderful, precious mercy of God? That what has he done? He has sent the Lord Jesus Christ into the world for sinful people like us. Should we not teach our households the most important truth that there is freely available forgiveness and cleansing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure you see what I mean. Our household worship should be focused on the Bible and it should be centered on the cross of Calvary Hill. I wonder whether you will ignore all of this. I wonder if you will instead grasp with two hands the objective that we have, this goal Will we worship God in our homes? Dads, men, will you instigate household worship from this day forth? If we do that, I believe, I passionately believe that it could be the means of great spiritual revitalization of our congregation if we would just worship God as he deserves to be worshipped. If we'd worship him in spirit and truth, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we would do that, gathering together with the people we love so dear. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you uh, that we can come and we can uh, look to your word and to the letter to the Ephesians. We have much as your people to... Uh, to turn from and to repent of, Lord God. But we thank you that most of all, that we have good news to share with our children. We have good news to, to, to share with our spouses and our friends and our flatmates. That we have the news of the gospel. That we have your word to teach to each other. That we have songs to sing with the holiness and the splendor and the majesty of God. And we thank you most of all that we have a wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray all of these things, asking you to forgive us, to minister to us, to challenge us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.